Hello and welcome to a brand new aviation podcast from UK Airshow Review. This is Display Frequency. Running in for the show, starting! Oh! Yes, it all starts here. I'm Dan O'Hagan and you're listening to the very first Display Frequency, the new podcast from UK Airshow Review. The idea is to produce one of these every month, perhaps more during the airshow season, to discuss the latest news, preview and review the summer's air displays, and speak to people involved in the airshow industry, pilots, owners, operators, display teams, organisers and restorers, who help to make the UK such a vibrant place for airshows and for aviation in the wider sense. Before we start our first show, an appeal If you have an aviation story you'd like to share with us on a future podcast, then get in touch. You can message one of our much-loved and hard-working team through our forum, or on Facebook, or via Twitter, where we are at UK Airshow Review. Okay, now we're joined by our very first guest, Jez Hopkinson, team owner and leader of the Yakovlevs, a team who've been displaying at air shows now across the world since 1999. They're based at Henstridge Airfield in Somerset, a wartime fleet air arm training base. Now, the team have flown 850 displays in front of 35 million people, racking up some 260,000 miles. So, a chat with display frequency should be a walk in the park. Yes, welcome to our podcast, our very first guest. Uh, your team, the Yakovlevs, always a very welcome sight at shows around the UK and beyond, because I understand this summer you're off somewhere a bit further afield. Absolutely, Dan. Well, first of all, thank you very much for inviting me on. It's, uh, it's a great new project, and we're very pleased to be a part of it. Yeah, for the team, it's, it's a very exciting time at the moment. We're just on our way back out to China. This will be the second time we've been invited out there. Uh, hopefully going out again uh, this year um, after um, August, which is our first event over in, uh, in a town near Shangyan, right over on the North Korean border. So let's just hope my navigation's okay. <laughs> and then later on, hopefully, we're going down into the, uh, the Midwest. So it's an exciting time at the moment. So how did that come about? Well, we've been, uh, we've been traveling around quite a lot now, and uh, we're fully geared up for being able to pack the aircraft up uh, within about four or five days. We have all jigs ready, so it, it, it's quite easy for us to do. And we have been invited out around the world um, quite a lot. In fact, we've been invited out uh, to Rio de Janeiro to open the World Volleyball Competition um, last year, but I was a bit concerned about taking my pilots down there. I don't think they'd ever come back. <laughs> Four days on Ipanema Beach. Um, Absolutely. I think that would be the end of the theme. So it's really through the internet and uh, through our advertising and just generally by being very well known. Um, obviously, the website is a massive draw for people when they, uh, they're looking around the world. And then having the opportunity to be able to pack up and move makes us very attractive to some of the bigger shows worldwide. Have Yak will travel. Uh, how's the UK air show season shaping up in 2012 for you? Well, it's okay. Um, we've we've got um, we've moved on from the four ship now. We're just about to start with the six ship, so we'll be leaving two aircraft back in uh, in the UK this year to finish up on the uh, uh, for this year. We'll be doing the four ships up until August when the aircraft go, uh, and then we'll be uh, dropping down to a two ship. But it's been a bad couple of years, I think, for the air show. Uh, I think you'll know yourself. There are, there are less and less 
um, acts taking place, the cost of fuel, insurance, and obviously health and safety, have hit quite hard on the air show world. Although we tend to limit the number that we do to 50 shows a year, uh, it, it's been a bit of a struggle, I, I must admit. Yeah, well, the team's been around, Jess, for well over 10 years now. Just give us some uh, insight into how and why you formed the team and a bit of the team's history. Well, it all started due to uh, the North Wheel squadron training. Um, they, the Yaks were pretty new into the country in the, uh, in the latter part of the 90s. And the few people who had them wanted to get some formation training. So... Anthony, uh, Anthony Hutton set up a training school which he'd been doing with Harvard at uh, North Weald and people who had yaks used to go down and the people that were qualified in the back of formation used to go down there and help train them and it was really a derivative of that during the weekends we kept on training and in 1998 we did our first ever show a private event up near Wilton and then the following year we were fully blown and our first public display as such was at Yeovilton and we've been going since then. So really, uh, 1998 was the first show, 1999 the first public show. It's, it's been a bit of a journey. So how do you select the pilots who fly with you in the team? It's a really good question, actually, Dan. It, it's not just about ability. Um, it's more about mental, uh, mental approach to flying. Obviously, people have got to have a certain skill level, but we can teach that. It's more about being part of a team and working as a team player. Once you're in uh, tight formation with four or six aircraft, you need to be very comfortable with the guy on your port or starboard. And so it's more about that kind of person. Obviously, as a shortcut, we tend to get ex-military pilots. But far from our team being all military, it's probably about 75% ex-military or current military pilots, and obviously 25% are uh, civilians. But everyone's got the same mental attitude, which is safety first, and then um, a desire for excellence more than anything else. You mentioned excellence there. I read that one of your pilots has been flying the uh, new F-35 recently. That's right. Jim, uh, Jim Schofield is uh, on a sabbatical. We allowed the United States Air Force to borrow him from the <laughs> team for a couple of years. Uh, so he's off flying the uh, JSF, um, at the moment, the F-35, both B and C models. What's quite interesting, he was uh, talking to me on the phone the other day. He, he still says that uh, the Yak-50 is, is his most harmonised favourite aircraft that he flies. Yes, your team flies a mix of Yak-50s and 52s. How well suited are they to uh, formation aerobatics? I personally think they're very well suited. They're not the, the best aerobatic aircraft out there. They were designed to win the 1971 uh, World Championships when America was leading the, uh, the charge with the pits. And the, Amer- the, uh, the Russians brought out the, the Yak-50 and it did very, very well. So it's an old-style aircraft, but what it does have, it has the warbird feel, which is fantastic. So for actual display aerobatics, I think there's, there's nothing better. The sound of the engines, the size of the aircraft, the aerobatics tend to be a lot more graceful. We, we do get into the gyroscopics, but now with the, the new S-backs that are out there and the edges and the, and the super new uh, extras, we can't compete with the kind of tumbling that those aircraft and gyroscopics they can do. So we don't. We stick to making the easy just look spectacular by doing graceful, big, looping and swooping manoeuvres. And I think the aircraft is very well suited uh, to that. But definitely, um, I think that the world has moved on for the pure aerobatic machines. Just look at Joel Cooper flying his 
who's Esbach or Paul Bonham and Steve Jones. Uh, they're just an amazing uh, set of aircraft now. Well, here we are now towards the end of May. The air show season is here. When do you guys begin your season and when do you begin your work up to the new air show year? Well, we're already into our season. We've done eight shows already. Um, so we, we get going really in March. With the aircraft being in maintenance, that's always a, a little bit of a problem. So, so far, we've only been doing two and three ships. Uh, we get our last aircraft back. It's just been in having a new engine put in. So we start training, really, in March. But we do finish quite late as well. So we finish in about October. So it's not a big layoff. We've always got a couple of aircraft that are uh, still in the hangar at Henstridge. So they um, are available for us to nip out and go practicing. So the big workup, as I said, is March, April, uh, and uh, throughout the rest of the layoff period in the winter, we do train as a two-ship. So as a display pilot, the leader of a team, what do you think makes a really great airshow routine? I, personally, I, I think it's anything that can stop the spectator licking his ice cream and uh, eating his hamburger, because that's <laughs> what we're really competing against. In my team, I believe that it's making the easy look spectacular. Everybody flies at about 35 to 40% of their capacity, so we can work hard to make it look tight, neat, close. And it's the sound and the precision that I think is what makes a really, really good show, from my point of view. There are people that, whether they're flying the Catalina, just having that come by, or if you go down to Shuttleworth and watch some of the Edwardian aircraft flying, again, absolutely fantastic. So it's not just about looping and swooping. I think it's about the whole feel uh, of the act in the show. And what happens in terms of the team's downtime uh, in the time between air show appearances? Well, it's like anything. It's maintenance, 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 and more maintenance. Uh, that's what we spend the whole life doing. Obviously, these aircraft, we do push them reasonably hard, so whenever they get back into the hangar, um, we get the cowlings off, give them a good clean, find out if there's any leaks or squeaks, always checking them. Being a warbird, we do have small problems all the time, small air leaks, making sure that everything's pulled through, uh, the, not just the air leaks, obviously oil leaks as well. So it's the maintenance that is, without doubt, the thing takes up most of the time once it's back in the hangar. Obviously, having our own hangar, which is fully heated and insulated, we can work early in the morning and late at night. So it means that we're a lot more able to look after them. And then it's back to the old paperwork exercise. Someone once asked me, uh, what's it like being a display pilot? I go, I don't know, really. I'm just a guy that fills in paperwork all the time now. (laughs) If it's not permission for this or uh, permit for that, you know, it just goes on and on and on with health and safety and risk assessment. So it's, as I said to you there, it's maintenance now and I'm afraid paperwork. And where do you see the team going in the future, Jess? Well, we're moving on. Um, we're going up to a sixth ship. Um, if, we can, if we can continue to keep good sponsorship coming in and partnerships, which are incredibly important um, for, for, these te- for this type of team, for myself especially, then we'll just keep building. Ultimately, um, I'd love to have a nine ship. Um, I think that would be something that's very special. It's unknown what will happen with the Red Arrows at the moment. We've dropped down to a seven in the UK for most of this year, apart from a few special ones. I hope that next year the nine-ship ship will be back. But I think there is scope for a civilian nine-ship out there. Expensive, yes. But to have that amount of radial aircraft uh, engines going through the sky at one time, 
would be would be very exciting. So the team's got some great plans for a new uh, routine coming out in 2014, which I can't really talk too much about, but that'll be very exciting as well, um, having just two aircraft, but much bigger this time. And I think that um, that's something that we're looking forward to within the team. Thank you, Jez. We wish you all the best, and thank you for being the very first guest on our very first show. Well, thanks a lot, Dana, and uh, really good luck for, uh, to you on this. I, I think it's a fantastic idea uh, to be moving forward like this. It, it's you know the modern way now with Twitter and whether you're doing Facebook or whatever, it's, it's got to be done. <laughs> Now the first of two competitions on today's display frequency. The first is to win a book written by a member of our forums. Now Peregrine Bush is a map maker and has produced a book we reckon is long overdue. An aviation enthusiast and photographer's bible containing full colour maps of the UK's military airfields plus essential information including radio frequencies and a guide to the units and operators based there. You can find out more by going to the author's site which is pb-photos.com Now normally the book retails at £21.99 pence, but thanks to the author we have a copy to give away to one lucky winner who can correctly answer the following three questions. Question number one. RF Coldishall was in which English county? Question two. Which Suffolk airfield became synonymous with the English electric lightning? And question number three. Name the airfield from which 617 Squadron launched the Dambusters raid in 1943. Enter via the form on our podcast page at airshows.co.uk forward slash podcast by midnight on June the 18th, 2012. This is Display Frequency. next guest is the man at the controls of one of the most photogenic classic jets in the UK. Based at Northwheel, the Vampire Preservation Group are the team behind the wonderful de Havilland Vampire T-11 WZ-507. Now, the aircraft hasn't been seen much of lately, but don't worry, the Vampire will soon be back. To tell us more is Matt Hampton, Chief Pilot of the VPG. to our first display frequency. The Vampire is one of our favourite classics on the display scene. Uh, we should ask you first what the current status is, because I know you had a, a tough year last year. Yeah, it's been a busy 12 months or so. Um, the, the first issue we had last year, we expected the aircraft, or the engine in particular, to have enough hours left uh, to get us through the whole of the display season last year, with the intention of doing an engine change over the winter this year. Unfortunately, that didn't quite transpire. Um, once the aircraft came out of its inspection last spring, so about um, 12, 14 months ago, we were told that the engine had five hours left on it. Mm. So we we nursed it through the summer, so absolute minimum flying. We prioritised uh, flying for a display pilot uh, currency reasons, and then getting the aircraft out to as many displays as we could. Sadly, that was only two different venues. We had the two displays at South End in May, and then at the end of July we went to Sunderland and did two displays there. And uh, frankly, by the time we'd done that, that used up, I think, about four hours and 50 minutes of the five hours that we had. Right, so last yeah. year, um, 1st of August last year, uh, we put the aircraft into the hangar to get the engine change done, which, say, it was far from ideal timing, just where the display season is still ongoing, obviously, in August. But needs must. So we went in, or the yeah, aircraft went in, 
Uh, we had another engine lined up, but that needed to be inspected. So that the inspection work was done on the replacement engine sort of over the summer whilst the aircraft was still flying. So on the 1st of August, we had an engine that was ready to be fitted. That took just over two months. So that took us uh, through to uh, beginning of October. At that stage, the engine was fitted and we had to get some test flying under our belts just to make sure the engine was you know, performing as expected. There were no snags. And that coincided with the, the start of the Great British Winter. So lots yeah. of rain, wind and other reasons why we couldn't get going. Uh, we did manage to get the display, uh, sorry, get the um, test flying done over the winter, though. So as we sort of head towards the beginning of June, we do have an aircraft now with a very um, good engine. We actually think it's better than the old engine. It seems to be developing a little bit more thrust. Um, certainly no snags with it at all. Uh, the problem we have at the moment, a very small one, it's just the time of the year where the aircraft's having its annual inspection. That's yeah. back in the hangar again now, hopefully coming out around about mid-June. It's just the annual check. It gets taken, not completely stripped down, but uh, taken apart to a fair degree. Lots of inspections here and there. Um, a few snags have already been found um, in the last couple of weeks that it's been in the hangar. So obviously those are being addressed. But uh, with any luck, assuming they don't find anything else wrong with the aircraft, hopefully it will be back out around about the middle of June and ready for display flying. Great. Uh, so with a new engine, how much does that extend her potential flying life by? Oh, a huge number of years. Um, the engine that we've just fitted has potentially got 500 flying hours left on it. And with the utilisation we have, we realistically could get another 20 years out of it. Uh, to be honest, if we were to fly it a little bit less, we could easily stretch that to 25 or even 30 years. It's, it's, it's really prolonged the aircraft life. Okay, well, we know that some jets have full-time employees like the Vulcan working for them. How big a team do you have behind the scenes to call on to work on the Vampire? Uh, it's a core team of uh, four owners on the aircraft. Myself and Mark Hooten uh, do display flying on the aircraft as well. Coupled with that, we do have our supporters club. Um, it, it's quite a small club. It, the intention is uh, subscriptions towards the club, and in return for that, there'll be regular newsletters, four newsletters a year, just to keep people updated with the uh, progress of the aircraft and what we're up to. And we do open the aircraft up for members occasionally at North Weald. Um, we haven't actually done much of that this year, um, purely because I've just moved to Scotland. Well, I say just moved, it was just over a year ago when I got married. And uh, living in Scotland, it does make it a little bit more uh, tricky for me to pop over to North Weald and, and do of these course, things. Yeah. Uh, the intention is we will have some sort of open day at some stage in the future. Um, but the, the question is just a, a case of when. Uh, I'm also due to become a father in about two weeks' time. So I suspect, Congratulations. Thank you very much. <laughs> um, I suspect that will keep me away from the vampire a little bit for this year. But uh, hopefully come 2013, um, be able to get my fingers and hands a bit dirty and uh, muck in and do a bit more again. So how's the 2012 air show season shaping up for the vampire at the moment? Uh, it's quite quiet uh, for a couple of reasons. Firstly, we were reluctant to take any bookings until we got the test flying completed, and we have really only got that um, finished to our satisfaction in the last three or four weeks. Um, the other issue, say, the aircraft has just gone in for maintenance, so we don't know how long that'll take. We're estimating middle of June. Um, there's always a chance that a, a snag might be found that could keep the aircraft out of action a little bit longer. So at the moment, we've got feelers out with um, several uh, different air show organisers, and it's just a question of... Um, not really committing ourselves too much, but we sort of, we're at the provisional stage, should we say, with quite a few um, plays. Yeah. For example, Shuttleworth, they are very keen to have us this year. They will have us this year, but we haven't actually decided on the date just yet. Uh, how hard is it to keep a, a vintage jet on the airshow circuit year in, year out? What challenges do you face every year? The two main challenges, and I, I suspect this will be familiar to anybody operating a similar type of aircraft, 
Uh, financial is the main one because the, the costs are only ever going in one direction. Um, so just sheer, um, or so just being able to find the money to, to keep the aircraft going is probably the biggest problem that we face. The second one is spare parts. Now there's quite a good supply of spare parts for the Vampire still. Um, there's one or two items that are becoming a little rarer, shall we say. For example, nose wheel tyres. We um, had to change the tyre about two months ago, just where it was, it was getting worn to limits. And uh, we found, or the engineers found a part-worn tyre which has been fitted. So, no, it, it's second-hand, if you like. It's had some use. There's still plenty of life left in it. Probably a few more tyres out there, sort of hidden away in garages and things like that. It's just a, a question of finding them. Um, static vampires on displays at uh, museums around the world there's a chance that they may have reasonable tyres on them that could be used. Alternatively, though, once we do use up all of the old ones that are currently in existence, I think we'll probably be going down the line of contacting Dunlop or one of the other tyre companies, giving them the uh, details and specifications of what we need, and then paying uh, an absolute fortune to get a batch of 50 tyres made. One of those things, we'll cross that bridge when we come to it, because that will be a very expensive option, but it might be the only thing that we can do to actually keep the aircraft flying. This year marks, I think, 10 years for you flying the Vampire. Uh, still enjoying it? Oh, absolutely. It's an absolute delight to fly it. So it was designed as a trainer. It's a very simple aircraft in terms of handling and um, such like. A couple of things to watch out for on it. With the Goblin engine being a first-generation jet engine, you need to handle that quite carefully, especially going from idle power to mid-power, for example. It takes a long time for the engine to spool up. And if you try and do that a bit too quickly, the engine will just surge and rumble away and the exhaust temperature starts to get high and things like that. Mm. So um, that's one of the things that you really have to watch out for in terms of handling. The other issue, um, in all respects, is quite benign, apart from high G stalls. So, for example, if you're doing a, a tight turn and apply a bit too much uh, back pressure, if you do stall the aircraft, it can flick out. The same would apply, for example, coming out of a loop. If you pull back a little bit too hard coming out of a loop, it's possible to get an accelerated stall and it will flick, so obviously that's uh, not a good thing to be doing, which is the main reason we don't actually loop the aircraft at displays. OK, well, Matt, I think this year marks your aircraft's anniversary. 60 years ago it was built. Um, just tell us a bit about the history of WZ-507. Well, as you say, 60 years old this year, um, del- uh, built in 1952, delivered to the RAF the following year. Um, it moved around quite a bit. I suspect that's probably normal for aircraft of that particular era. Um, started off at Chivener with uh, 229 OCU. Um, went to Cambridge after that for a few modifications. For example, when it was first built, it didn't have ejection seats, so they were retrofitted. At the same time, the canopy, it, the original canopy on the T11, looked a bit like the Mosquito canopy with lots mm. of framework. Um, so they fitted the new bubble canopy um, to the aircraft at the same time, so just updated it. Uh, but obviously the main change was fitting the ejection seats. In yeah. 1963, uh, the aircraft moved to the Civil Anti-Aircraft Cooperation Unit at Exeter. Didn't stay there for too long at all, just one year before going to Shawbury for its final posting at the Central Air Traffic Control School, where it spent the longest time. It's there for five years, mainly, I believe, going around the circuits or being radar vectored by trainee air traffic controllers to help them learn their trade. And then 1969, it was retired from the RAF and put on static display as a gate guardian. After that, it moved around a little bit. It was restored back to flying condition in 1980 at Carlisle by the uh, Solway Aviation Society. Um, flew for a few years, ended up going into storage for a few years after that. It ended up at Cranfield with Sandy Topin and the Vintage Aircraft Team. Again, a few years there, back into storage. We became involved once the aircraft was at Swansea. Uh, that would have been around about 2001. Mm-hmm. It was being restored back to flying condition for the third time. And then we took delivery, uh, took delivery of the aircraft in 2002 down at Bournemouth. 
and that's really when my involvement with the aircraft began. Yeah, why do you think the Vampire is such a, an enduring aircraft in uh, in air show uh, folklore, if you like? A lot of it is um, it's different from other aircraft. Obviously, the Goblin engine, um, off the top of my head, apart from Venoms, I can't think of any other aircraft on the display circuit in the UK with centrifugal engines, so a very distinctive whistling noise when it flies. Obviously, the twin boom layout of uh, the de Havilland uh, series of aircraft, so the Vampire, Venom, and Sea Vixen, is a distinctive-looking aircraft. Um, it's quite manoeuvrable. One of the nice things about it is we can fly it slowly. So, for example, at a display, if we can get the undercarriage and flaps and a slow pass, we're then authorised to bring the aircraft closer to the crowd line. Yeah. They give people the chance to see it nice and up close. So, I would say it's down to partly the versatility of the aircraft, and also just the, the sheer uniqueness of this particular machine. Uh, Matt, you mentioned the airshow flying. Uh, just tell us how you decide what goes into your airshow display routine. It varies enormously depending on the conditions on the day. Um, if it's a lovely clear blue sky, sort of no cloud around, it's always nice to start off with a high-energy manoeuvre such as the half-cuban. Um, that gives people a chance to see the aircraft in a plan form, uh, which... You can do that with topside passes, but the half Cuban does show off quite nicely in that particular respect. However, the sort of weather we get in the UK tends to be um, more limited. Quite often, um, there's cloud around about two, two and a half thousand feet, so that limits the aircraft manoeuvres to wing overs, um, lazy derries, rolling manoeuvres. So it just keeps the, the whole display a bit flatter and lower down. As I mentioned earlier, it's always nice to do a slow pass at some time, uh, at some point, just to get the gear and the flaps down, change the configuration and uh, get the aircraft slower and therefore uh, closer to the crowd line. So we do try and tailor every display that we do for the conditions and just take into account the direction of the wind, whether it's blowing onto the crowd or away from the crowd, uh, the position of the sun for photographers and things like that. Yeah, I was going to say, do you kind of take into account you know, feedback you might read on forums like you, Car, about you know, what people want to see from uh, an air display? I must admit, um, if I do a display, I do try and um, have a look at the forums and the next sort of two or three days give people a chance to make some postings on there. Um, YouTube is also another good um, source because quite often people do uh, film the displays. Um, because the, the one snag of being a display pilot is you're the one person in the world that can't actually watch what you're doing. So you do rely on, yeah. on things like um, no other people filming it so you can then sit back and watch it and see what worked, what didn't work, um, know what could be done better for next time. Mm. Of all the venues you've flown at, which one would you say is the, is the best venue to to fly uh, a display routine at? I must admit, my personal favourite one is uh, Shoreham. It was, I think, the very first display I ever did, so it's, I'm probably a little biased in that respect. It's a lovely airfield. Um, obviously, you've got the sea there as well, so it's uh, quite picturesque from a pilot's point of view. But um, in terms of navigation, there's so many good landmarks around Shoreham. It's, no, it's very easy to know where you are, even if you're pointing away from the airfield. You can pick up all the different landmarks. You know exactly where the airfield is still. And it's just a nice, friendly atmosphere there. Mm. If we go back to kind of finance and how the aircraft is, is funded through the year, uh, how much help do you have from sponsors and, and things like that? Well, we were very lucky last year to get uh, sponsorship from Aerobytes Limited, who um, help out with the Vulcan as well. Um, they obviously saw our flight regarding requiring the new engine and uh, obviously the financial um, difficulties we were having in getting that particular job done. So they came to our rescue last year and became our display season sponsor for 2012. I think, to be honest, from the display season we're having so far this year, we'll uh, let them have sponsorship for next year free of charge, quite frankly. 
As well as that, the supporters club brings in a limited uh, degree of income uh, to help keep the aircraft going. And once we do get the aircraft back on the display circuit, then there's a limited degree of income from display flying too. Yeah. Is it harder for jets to get bookings for air shows than it is for the prop warbirds, do you think? I honestly don't know. Um, we generally have enough bookings each year to keep us um, sort of realistically busy. Both Mark and myself have full-time jobs, so it is really a hobby for us taking it around air shows. So we don't want to be sort of completely inundated with uh, display bookings. Um, in terms of, let's say, the, this year and last year were unusual. Uh, most years we get, I think, the right sort of balance. We get to probably 10 to 15 different display venues and probably do 20 to 25 actual displays per year, which it, it shows the aircraft off reasonably well. We, we tend to get all around the UK. Uh, it's displayed in Scotland a couple of times. Uh, one part of the the country we haven't particularly been to is the West Country. I think it's been down to Yeovilton, but not really any further than that. Um, but no, we, we just try and get a varied number of displays around the UK. Whether it's easier or more difficult than um, sort of warbirds, I think it's fair to say Spitfires are probably, although there's a lot more of them, people generally will always want to see a Spitfire at an air show. That's probably a great help in that respect. But again, the Vampire is quite unusual. And as long as you don't have to ferry the aircraft too far to get to the display venue, um, it's a reasonable price as well. Obviously, if we have to take it all the way up to Scotland, for example, it costs an absolute fortune getting it there and back. If it's for a local display, we can actually get the aircraft over and display it for quite a competitive price. And I think that probably does help us. That's good. Um, So the plan is to get the aircraft back in flight next month. So do we have a, a first air show date? penciled in for when we can first see the the aircraft this year? Uh, There's two displays penciled in at the moment, so Shuttleworth, they're definitely um, going to take the aircraft, but we're not sure yet which date um, we're going for, and then Little Grandstand, the children in need uh, display, we've been contacted by the organisers for that one, so hopefully we'll be taking it there. Once we've got the aircraft back um, into uh, display condition again in hopefully a month or so from now. I think that would be the point for us to then really start pushing the aircraft and uh, trying to get some displays booked up for the second half of the season and uh, say, see if we can get the aircraft back out to a sensible number of venues over the second half of the year. Matt, thank you for your time. A great insight there into uh, what's involved in operating a classic jet on the UK airshow circuit. Thank you, Dan. Thank you. Matt Hampton there, the chief pilot with the Vampire Preservation Group at Northweald. You can find their website, by the way, at www.vampirepreservation.org.uk. And on there you'll find, too, the information about how to join their supporters club, which Matt mentioned in his interview. You're listening to Display Frequency. show season is here and we're not too far now from the first show of the year at Duxford next Sunday to be precise May the 27th and the Jubilee Air Show. Uh, we're joined now by Esther Blaine, Public Relations Manager for IWM Duxford. Esther welcome to Display Frequency how's the show shaping up? Uh, it's looking very good at the moment, we've got a fantastic flying display actually and um, obviously we're celebrating the Queen's Diamond Jubilee this year and an awful lot of the aircraft that we've got flying have some sort of raw connection whether it's way back in the 1930s having been part of the Royal Review here at uh, Duxford or whether it's a more modern connection to members of the Royal family who are flying contemporary aircraft today. Yeah, one or two overseas items too I see. Among them the French Air Force's Cartouche Doré. Now we've seen the Patrouille de France at Duxford before but for this team it's their UK mainland debut isn't it? 
Yes, we're very excited by that. I mean, it's great to have them for the first time in the UK on the mainland, and uh, they do a fantastic, colourful aerobatic display. So that's a really exciting thing to have as part of, of the air show. And obviously, uh, other international participation comes from the Belgian Air Force with the F-16 Fighting Falcon as well. So we've got some really exciting, a really exciting mix of historic aircraft, modern, contemporary, powerful jets. Um, more historic aircraft from, from biplanes and, and iconic aircraft such as Spitfires um, and the B-17 Flying Fortress right through. So it's a real celebration of the last 60 years of aviation and beyond um, and a real, a real smorgasbord of, of aircraft. I think there's something in there for everybody. And the start of another busy year at Duxford then? Absolutely, yes. This is the start of the busy season which doesn't really then stop until ooh, about November. So, um, yeah, we're all systems go now. Well, Esther, I know half-term's looming, so uh, with that in mind, what other non-air show events are lined up at Duxford this year? Well, a whole range of events this year. If, um, if, if your listeners have children, we have family activities throughout the year. We've got some, some great fun activities during the June half-term where we're getting families to join a 1940s home front voluntary organisation. That means practising your drilling and getting your uniform on and all of those sorts of things. Um, we've got the Military Vehicle Show on Sunday the 17th of June, which is Father's Day. So this is an opportunity for Dad to do what he wants to do and bring the family along with him and see all those big tanks and trucks and um, meet living history groups that talk about ground warfare. Uh, we've also got Flying Legends, which is one of the most iconic air shows in the world, on the 30th of June and 1st of July. And more information will be coming out about flying participation for that soon. And then into summer holidays, we're asking families to become Second World War special agents. So we're putting them through spy school and teaching them all the tricks of the trade, to a degree, um, that the uh, secret operations executive would have learnt during the Second World War. And then much more throughout the year, we've got a new event on the 5th of August called Spitfires, Merlins and Motors, which is all about celebrating the Spitfire. So lots of lovely flying displays and Spitfires on ground display. We've got a vintage fair for that. We've got the Rolls-Royce Enthusiast Club here um, displaying some amazing, iconic Rolls-Royce um, cars as well. So there's a real sort of nostalgic feel to that one. And then we've got American Air Day on Friday the 17th of August, which is an opportunity for people to meet with the United States Air Force in Europe and find out more about what they do. And then we have the Duxford Air Show in early September, 8th and 9th of September, which is the best of historic and modern aircraft displaying um, in the historic skies over Duxford. Um, then the Autumn Air Show on the 14th of October, and we sort of conclude the, um, the season with Remembrance Sunday, which is obviously incredibly important to us. Uh, and on that day, we open the museum free for all so that everybody can come down and take the opportunity to explore IWN Duxford on the day when we remember members of the armed forces who lost their lives in active service. A full year, yeah. You mentioned the Flying Legends, which has been brought forward this year because of the Olympic Games flying restrictions. How are those Olympic Games restrictions going to affect the rest of the flying that goes on out of Duxford uh, this summer? I don't think it will affect us greatly at all, to be honest. I am, obviously, we're um, a general aviation um, airfield and a historic airfield, and our airfield manager is very comfortable about the, the flying that will happen around the year. We're, we're pretty much going to be unaffected obviously we've had to avoid the no fly zone and that's meant a slight move in air show dates and obviously all um all air show providers have had to deal with that situation as well but um i, I think it sells a buoyant for our air shows um it doesn't seem to have confused our public at all so um, i think we're looking forward to a very exciting year ahead Thank you, Esther. Esther Blaine from IWM Ducks for there ahead of the Jubilee Air Show on Sunday, May the 27th. 
For more information and a full show listing, go to duxford.iwm.org.uk or get the Duxford Airshows 2012 app from iTunes, which is free to download and is coming soon. Right, competition time again. Esther's very kindly given us a family ticket for up to two adults and two children for one of the two show days at the Duxford Air Show later this year on the 8th and 9th of September. To begin with the chance of winning, just correctly answer these three questions. Question 1. Which overseas display team are booked to make their UK mainland debut at Duxford's Jubilee Air Show in May? Question 2. Which of the following warbirds is not based at Duxford? P-47 Thunderbolt Snafu, P-51 Mustang Janie and B-17 Flying Fortress Sally B. Question 3. During World War II, by what name were Douglas Bader's large formations of fighters from Duxford known as? Send your answers through the display frequency page, which you can find at airshows.co.uk forward slash podcast by midnight on June the 18th, 2012. Good luck. So that's the first display frequency done. Hope you enjoyed our first show. The next one is coming soon. In the meantime, get in touch via Facebook, Twitter and our forums to give us feedback and perhaps get involved yourself. Our thanks to all involved in today's show and to you for downloading and listening. From myself, Dan O'Hagan, goodbye. I'll see you at an air show soon. <laughs>